Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Good to see everybody. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors here. And we are in week four of our current sermon series that we're calling Body Works Better Together. I like it. Sounds good. We've heard about the body of Christ and that we are members of his body. We've been given different gifts, and yet we all are unified together to honor and serve him. So I'm really excited to be able to share with you this morning you know, one of the things many of you know, because you see me out front, I like to greet people. I like to meet people. That's one of the things I really, really enjoy doing. And um, one of the things that I periodically have done when I've met people, I get kind of mixed reviews on this, is maybe I'll see a mom and her daughter, or maybe I'll see a grandparent, or maybe I'll see some siblings come in, and I might say something like this, boy, you really look like your mom. Now, I get mixed reactions to that comment. Sometimes I get a smile. That's nice. Sometimes I get an eye roll. Not as nice. And sometimes I get daggers. It's like, whoa, I guess I shouldn't have said that. Family resemblance. It's just part of how God made us. It's part of how he designed our DNA. You can't pick and choose, you know, the best qualities of your parents. You get what you get, right? And we say, thank you, Lord, I guess, most days. But anyway, one of the things that uh, is also true about family resemblance is it's not just your physical features. Have you noticed that? It's really awesome to know someone's parent and then get to know them and say, man, you have mannerisms just like your dad. Or you use phrases that I've heard from your mom, you know, This family resemblance thing goes further than just characteristics. It can even go personality-wise. It's so interesting. My mom used to say to me, you look like your dad, you act like your grandpa. You know, you got the personality of your grandpa. And so my point is this, that family resemblance is just part of life, and it's fine. Don't don't be upset if uh, some of those things didn't go your way. You know, I'm just saying. But anyway... Uh, to a large degree, I want us to know that we have a spiritual family resemblance, at least we're supposed to. We are united in Christ. We have the same father. Isn't that awesome? And so when we think about family resemblance as the church, as the body of Christ, there are aspects of us which should be the same. We should look alike in so many ways as it becomes, as it comes to you and I growing and growing and growing more into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's how we're supposed to look alike. Well, my assignment, my opportunity this morning is to take us to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to be looking at the first six verses and we're going to talk together and see together in God's word. What does it mean to be family? And very specifically, what does it mean to be unified as a family. So why don't you turn there? But before we go there, I wanted to share a few verses because I'm big on, as many of you know who took the class that I taught this summer, I'm big on understanding the context. That's a big deal. I want us to make sure when we jump into four that we understand some things that happened in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Let me share some verses out of chapter one. Verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Wow. Then verse four, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse five, he predestined us for adoptions to to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse nine, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Verse 11, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Here's what I want you to notice. And if you saw what I underlined and italicized, you'll see it. You know what the, pro- the pronoun is here? It's either we or us. It's us. It's together. These spiritual blessings are for all of us. All of us. There is no A team and B team in the family of God. There isn't. There's no varsity and JV in the family of God. There's no professional and amateur in the family of God. There isn't. All of these spiritual blessings, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are yours. And so, man, just to think about that, to think about how God has poured out these riches, these blessings, these privileges that you and I have is just so key to understanding who we are in Christ. And to me, that's one of the most important things you and I can ever do is learn and dwell on my identity in Christ. Now, that theme is so important to the Apostle Paul that in the book of Ephesians, he continues in chapter one to unpack that. And then he kind of does the same thing in chapter two, and he kind of does the same thing in chapter three. And one of the big issues that he talks about in chapters two and three is that our identity, our oneness, our sameness in terms of our spiritual blessings translated to the Gentiles as well. Not just the Jews who believe in Jesus, but the Gentiles as well. If you study the book of Ephesians, incredible book, you'll see that the first half, chapters one through three, talk about our spiritual identity. And then there's a sense in which the apostle Paul in chapter four, verse one, kind of turns the theological corner. And he says, now we're going to talk about you living this out every day in your life. That's what he says. Let's pick up in verse one, then of Ephesians chapter four. Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, look at this, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, when I, when I uh, studied this recently, 
I looked at that phrase in verse 1, live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And by calling, you know, sometimes people think calling, oh, what were you called to? Were you called to ministry? Were you called to the mission field? Were you called? No, your calling is what I talked about. That's in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Our identity as followers of Jesus Christ, our identity because we are in Christ, And Paul says, I urge you, super strong word in the Greek, super strong word. I urge you to live out your calling in Christ. Live what you know, live what you believe. And then what's so fascinating to me is he immediately in verse two goes to our unity as fellow believers. He's talking about our calling in a big sense. And then he says, let me start with what's really important, that you're unified, that you act like a family in all the best sense of the word. That's what he says. Look with me at verse two. Because what he gives us there are five very key qualities or characteristics. Verse two says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love. Five qualities. We could even call these the fab five of unity because they are characteristics of unity. Now, I want to give them in terms of what we're supposed to be and what we're not supposed to be. Kind of contrast. Look at my first one, please. Humility, not arrogance. Humility, not arrogance. There is no way you and I can be unified in our relationship and our purpose if we're arrogant, if we're prideful. It's about humility. Here's how an arrogant person thinks and talks about unity. I'm good with unity if I get to be the leader. I'm fine with unity if I get to make all the decisions. (laughs) I can do the unity thing if no one ever questions my opinion or authority. I've been guilty of this, by the way. I call it strong leadership. (laughs) It's actually self-selfishness and self-centeredness. What is unity? Unity has a give and take to it. Unity has compromise. Not always a bad word, sometimes a good word. Unity has compromise to it. The Bible talks about how we are to Give preference to one another in love. That's key to unity. Talks in Philippians chapter 2 that you and I are to consider one another as more important than ourselves. And the model is Jesus Christ. Humility. Humility. Not arrogance. Is this one a tough one for you? It is for me. I think um, because I've been in, as many of you have, roles of of leadership in different uh, phases of my life. You know, some of us are take charge. Some of us are opinionated. Some of us think we're the smartest person in the room. That's not humility. That's arrogance. That's pride. And it can be a unity buster, right? Humility, not arrogance. That's Characteristic number one. There's a second one I want to share with you. Number two is gentleness, not harshness. 
gentleness, not harshness. One of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 51 says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. But harsh words, some of you know this, what does it do? It stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Gentle. Here's a thought. Gentleness is disarming in a situation, in a conflict, in a verbal debate, battle. Gentleness is disarming. Harshness is demeaning. Really true. Gentleness is disarming. Harshness is demeaning. Now, I want to take a minute to talk to my brothers, okay? Um, Because I'm a guy. I get it. I understand this. Are you contributing to a culture in your family, my brothers, of gentleness or harshness? Of gentleness or harshness? A gentle answer turns away wrath. Are you one of the first to step in and take the temperature down when there's heat? Are you the first to step in with a calm voice and kind words to diffuse the conflict? Are you the first? Are you the one? How about at work? How about in other situations and contexts of your life? Gentleness, not harshness. It's tragic how many children have been victimized by harshness in their home. And how many adults bring with them some of the ill effects and wounds and pain of a household of harshness. Unity, my brothers and sisters, comes when we are gentle, not harsh. There's a third, patience. Here's my, here's my antithesis word, not agitation. <laughs> not agitation. I got to admit to you, I have a tendency to be a hurry up, let's get on with it kind of guy. I am. My wife would tell you that. I work really hard with God's help. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. To not be, hey, come on, come on, come on, come on, kind of person. I am. I'm just kind of that way. I think I'm kind of wired that way, but that's not an excuse. The Lord reminds me that's not an excuse. So I use the word agitation here because that kind of describes how I feel when I'm really impatient. I'm just agitated. Um, it's a combination of impatience, irritation, anger, and sometimes facial expressions that I just try to hide, but I can't. Agitation. Often people don't see that in me. Praise God. I think I'm a pretty good actor. <laughs> I don't know that that means I've conquered this issue or this area of my life. But uh, my wife knows, my daughters know, people who know me well see it, and Jesus always sees it. Patience. Patience. Oh, my goodness. It's so hard. And usually when I am called on it, I kind of do this. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. You know, kind of like that. 
busted, busted when that happens. How many of you struggle with patience? Oh my goodness. It's like, I got a plan. I'm working my plan. Don't get in the way of my plan. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, um, you know, we can just say we're get it done people. We have a life that is way too busy, which is true of many, many of us. And it doesn't lead to patience. It, it leads to this agitation, this impatience, and often goes in really ugly places and can be so destructive. Unity is predicated on people being patient with one another. It is. Okay, let me give you my fourth. My fourth is tolerance, not judgment. Paul uses this phrase, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. That's tolerance. The word tolerance has a very negative connotation in our culture, especially among Christians. I get it. I get that. But tolerance also can be a very, very beautiful thing when you are bearing with those that you really disagree with, when you are bearing with those um, who you'd just rather avoid. Tolerance, not judgment. Can we Christians be guilty of just drawing very quick conclusions about people before sitting with them and letting them tell us their story? I think the Lord has just really, really helped me over the last several years to be with people who have really hard lives and who have a very, very sad, difficult, painful story, which may go back all the way to the time that they were little children. It's so wrong of us, isn't it? to draw all these conclusions and make all these judgments about people and their behavior, even if they're adults, without maybe getting to know them and listening to their story and seeing how we can help instead of judge, seeing how we can extend some grace instead of condemning them. Tolerance, it's a good thing. And it's hard for impatient people to do that. I'll say that not judgment. Can Christians be really guilty of judging others? Yeah. Politically, racially, socioeconomically, educationally, and even theologically, we can be very guilty, right? Absolutely. We can. And you know, sometimes when I think of Jesus, when I think of Jesus in the Gospels, I am blown away by the people who are attracted to him. Who the religious leaders, the elite of society, absolutely condemned and had no time for. And yet those people in his culture who were so deeply broken and wounded and discarded, flocked to him. Why is that? He was sinless. He still is. He is perfect in every way. He's the God-man. And yet those people flocked to him because he was more about love and grace and tolerance than judgment and condemnation. Amen? 
Lord Jesus, make me more like that. Make me more like that. Because I have a long way to go, and maybe some of you too as well. Tolerance, not judgment. Tolerance is a unity builder. Judgment is a unity buster. It is. Number five is love, not indifference. Love, not indifference. Love says, I want to take time to listen to you. I want to get to know you. I want to know how I can help you. I want to know how I can be an encouragement to you. That's what love says. You know what indifference says? I'm going to act like you don't even exist. Notice I didn't say love, not hatred. Most of us don't like have a lot of people in our lives we hate. I don't think that's real common. But are there a lot of people we are incredibly indifferent to? We act like they don't even exist. Maybe people in our circle. We don't know their needs. We don't know their hurts. We don't know their fears. We don't know their struggles. Love, not indifference. Boy, that's one that I just, in my <laughs> busy life, in my rush, rush, rush life, rush life, in my impatience at times, I feel deeply convicted about that. Maybe you do too. That we live with blinders. We live with blinders on and don't see people who really would be so ministered to if we just took a moment to stop and listen and care. I wonder if there's someone in your life that I just described who really needs that from you. Love, not indifference. So Paul says, I want you to walk worthy of your calling in Christ and pursue the characteristics that promote unity in the body. And I think these five are an incredible starting point. And for me, are a lifelong journey to try to consistently live out, maybe with you too. Look at verse verse three with me. He goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. To me, these are the conditions of our unity. I want you to notice that he said, the spirit gave us our unity, capital S, Holy Spirit. You know, we are unified in a sense because we have the same father, we have the same Lord, we have the same salvation, we have the same spirit of God dwelling within us. There's a unity. That's why he uses the phrase, keep the spirit. Some versions say, guard the spirit, or or, guard the unity, excuse me, guard the unity. Protect the unity that you have. We didn't create our unity, our bond in Christ, but we need to guard it. We need to protect it. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What that looks like is, When you and I have had a great relationship in the last two or three times we've been together, I have felt a distance and a tension and something is going on and I'm not sure what it is. That I take the initiative to say, can we talk for a bit? I don't know if you sense this, but I do. And it really makes me sad that something's going on with us that's not healthy and not good. Can we talk? 
can we talk to confront that? It means going to a person who has offended you deeply or someone whom you have offended and say, God has convicted me that I need to ask your forgiveness. I really need that. And maybe they'll say the same to you. Keeping or guarding or protecting our unity means we have to make an effort to resolve the issues, to resolve the conflict, to resolve the problem. Is that scary? Yes. It's scary. I admit that. And it's been for me. And sometimes I've avoided it because of that, to my wrong, to my shame. But unity is such an enormously important value to God and to the body of Christ that we need to do that. And so again, maybe the Lord this morning will bring somebody to your mind that you need to do that with. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's somebody who had been a wonderful friend. And maybe that person has no idea that they offended you deeply. Or maybe you have no idea that you did or said something that hurt them. Haven't you found that even if you do things unintentionally, it still hurts people. Pursue those things in your relationships because the body of Christ is about making every effort to keep, to guard, to protect unity. And then the other phrase he uses here in verse three is in the bond of peace. Peace is a good thing. You want to do a great Word study in scripture, do a word study of the word peace. In the Old Testament, you'll see the word shalom, peace. Don't you like peace in your own heart? Peace in your family? Peace at work? Versus tension, conflict, animosity? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a no-brainer. Peace, the bond of peace. That, that's one of the words that uh, God uses to describe unity is there's peace. There's peace, there's kindness, there's grace. There's not, not that knot in your stomach. There's not that night after night after night that you wake up at two in the morning and you can't fall back asleep because there's so much anxiety. It's not that thing that for some of you creates a a panic attack. No, it's peace. Guard it. Pursue it. That's his point. So those are the conditions. And then my last, let me wrap this up. Verse four says this, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all who is over all and through all and in all. The word one appears seven times in these three verses. These are, these are the things we share in common, okay? I'm calling it the criteria for, for unity, and that is our oneness. Same body, that refers to the church. Do you know that we're part of a local church, but we're also part of the universal church, the universal body of Christ. Any of you, some of you have, I certainly have had opportunity to go other, to other parts of the world 
to spend time with godly Christ followers who not only uh, are from a different country, different culture, but we can't even speak the same language. But there's something incredibly beautiful about the unity that we have through Jesus. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and it's only something that God can do. Because of all these things we share in common, one body, that's the church, one Holy Spirit who indwells all true believers, the same hope, one hope, that hope is that we, our sins are forgiven and we spend, we'll spend eternity with Christ. One Lord, that's Jesus, one faith, I think that's a reference to the gospel, the message of the gospel, one or the same baptism, that's not water baptism, I think that's referring to spirit baptism. And the Bible teaches that when we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. We call that the indwelling work of the Spirit. But we are immersed. That's what the word baptism means. We are immersed into the body of Christ. We share that together. And obviously the same Heavenly Father. We have the same Father. Who's over all, through all, and in all. You know, as I thought about this idea of unity, I I just really came to the conclusion that unity is not passive. Unity is not just the absence of fighting. That's not enough. It includes that, but that is not enough. Unity for God's people involves loving each other well, resolving conflict, asking for and extending forgiveness. It includes listening with respect and with grace to people you absolutely do not agree with. It's wanting God's best for your brother, wanting God's best for your sister in Christ. It's bearing their burdens during difficult times, and it's allowing them to bear your burdens through your difficult times. That's unity. That's unity. Do you see it's why it's so precious to God? <laughs> And why he has created all of these blessings, conditions, sameness, so that we can be unified. Remember, unity is not passive. It's very active. And so this morning, I guess my big question to you and me is, of those five characteristics that I mentioned, are there one or two that you're really struggling with? of this whole idea of unity and mending relationships, confronting the tension, making sure that our, our uh, a relationship with a brother or sister has included forgiveness if it's needed. Let's not let another week go by without addressing that if the Spirit of God is really prompting you to. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you have given us all that we need to be a unified group of ambassadors for Christ on this planet. Thank you, Father, that there's something so incredibly special about being part of your family. Thank you for these amazing, amazing spiritual blessings that are not just for eternity, but they're also for today, for right now. And Father, in a special way, I pray for 
any of my brothers or, and sisters here this morning, anyone this morning who's here who knows you, who loves you, who has that tension, who has maybe been harsh instead of gentle, who maybe has been judgmental instead of tolerant, who maybe struggles so much with being agitated and impatient. Lord, would you open our eyes to our need for your grace to bring healing and change in our lives in the areas that don't honor you? That's why we thank you for your word and for the way you remind us through your word. That's why we thank you for your Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin, of our blind spots in our lives that periodically you just remind us of. And Lord, help us to help one another. There's no way that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling without each other. There's no way. So Lord, would you help us and would we help one another to guard and preserve the unity that you've called us to. In Christ's name we pray, amen.